Hey, if you got your Bible, let's go to Romans chapter 7. We're going to conclude this section of um, chapter 7 of Romans as we are t- touring through the book of Romans under the title of Gripped by Grace. How has God gripped us by his grace, and what does that look like, and, and what does that mean for us? So we're going to tackle a section of Scripture is probably the most confusing section in all of the Bible, uh, particularly in the book of Romans. And so people read this and they're like, shake their head and go, what in the world is Paul talking about? So let's pick up Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now, we get that, right? There's things we want to do, but we find ourselves unable to do it, and there are things that we don't want to do, and we find ourselves doing the very things we don't want to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, and it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not good, but the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my members and the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, if Paul had concluded right there, he would be most pitied, but that's not where he stops. Thanks be to God. Through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So let's take a few moments this morning and let's unpack this this passage of scripture together as uh, Paul has given it to us. So the title of this message is The War Within. This is what Paul's talking about. There's a war that's going on inside of him. And he's alluded to this already in the first half of this chapter, but we're going to kind of flesh this out. So I want to start by giving you what I call the the broad perspective. And the broad perspective is seen in the reality of the unseen realm of life. You are a, a person of two parts. You have a physical body that is visible and seen, but you also have an invisible part of you that is unseen. It's called your soul, your spirit. And so when God created you, he created you in his image. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in one essence. He created you spirit, soul, and body, one person in one essence. God designed you so that the spirit of God could live through your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and thus then through your body. This is the realm in which you exist, both in the invisible realm as well as the visible realm, Because God is also dwelling in both realms. He has his existence in what is unseen and invisible, as well as what is physical and visible to us. And you were made, therefore, to love God and to love others 
with all the parts of who you are. In other words, things are to be used, people are to be loved. Don't abuse people and, you know, use things. You want God's designed us to love, to reflect himself to those around us. Now, we live in a natural world that is physical, but there's another world that is connected to that, and it's called the heavenlies in the scripture. It's the unseen realm. Again, God exists in both realms. We are a part of what happened in the heavenlies that came to earth. And so way back when, um, there was a cosmic rebellion against God. Heaven was filled with unity and love and worship and joy and deference to authority until this cosmic rebellion that was led by, by Lucifer, by Satan, who gathered up some of God's angels, created angels to side with him, and Satan decided to usurp the throne of God to take over the authority of heaven. And as a result of that, there was a war that ensued. God created the angelic beings out of love, and love always requires freedom. That's why you have the freedom to choose, because God loves you. He created you out of love. Love requires that we have the freedom to choose, the freedom to choose right or wrong. And love only works where there is freedom. And some of you have experienced this, right? Some of you are like, you know, I, I loved her, but she didn't love me back. And I gave her my heart, she stomped all over it, right? You, you, were, you were free to choose and to try to love, and, and you didn't get that love reciprocated back to you. And we experienced that, that pain. Now, here's the important aspect of this. Freedom has a shadow side. If you are free to love, you're also free to hate. If you are free to give, you are also free to take or steal. If you are free to have the capacity for good, you've also been have the capacity for evil. And so this cosmic war that ensued in heaven, Satan was cast out of heaven down to the earth. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And so he was cast down to the planet earth. It was formless. It was void. Um, it was not the planet that we know now. And the, so God says, you want your own kingdom? I'll give you a kingdom. And there you go. And then one day, God, in the middle of Satan's kingdom, created the Garden of Eden. And he placed Adam and Eve in that garden, and he gave them the freedom of choice. He said, of all the things I've created, you have access to except the knowledge of, tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so God created Adam and Eve and said, now be fruitful and multiply. His design was that Adam and Eve would procreate and, and his kingdom here on earth would just continue to grow as the, as the Garden of Eden would spread across the globe. But Satan, understanding and knowing this, he was the tempter. He's the one who came into the garden and tempted Adam and Eve to rebel against God in the same fashion that he had done so on his own. And so the war in heaven was now down here to earth. Satan had brought with him a rebellious culture. So I want you to know that there's two kinds of culture. There's the culture of hell, and then there's the culture of heaven. They're not one and the same. And so the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve, they chose to rebel. They chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So immediately, remember God said, on the day you eat, you will surely die. Immediately they died in their spirit. God had breathed into them the Holy Spirit, the breath of life, and now they were spiritually dead. It, it, sin had tainted their mind, their will, their emotions, and ultimately they would die in their body. And so 
all of planet earth was in an upheaval. And sin, the wages of sin, the payment of sin brought not only death to humanity and the confusion of our soul and the dying of our spirit and this disconnect from God, but all of God's creation was impacted by sin. That's why we have hurricanes and volcanoes and tsunamis and even all of creation, Paul will say in Romans 8, is groaning and waiting for the day of God's redemption where, where God will shove all that hell brought to earth out off, off the earth. You read the phrase heaven and earth all through the Bible, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. There will come the day where Jesus will come back and he will take all that hell brought to the earth. He will move it out and he'll shove it back to hell and God will recreate the heaven and the earth. And so planet earth will be a heaven to us. It's where the new Jerusalem will come. It's where we will reside for all of eternity because God's presence will be here. And yes, we are victorious. But in the meantime, we are, we are a part of this battle, this war that is ensuing here on planet earth. And ultimately, ultimately Jesus writes all that sin has has wronged. So that's the broad perspective. There is coming the time when this battle will be no more. There will not be any more warring around you. You won't pick up a newspaper and hear about, you know, Russia invading Ukraine. You won't, you won't hear about the warring around you, and you'll no longer have a war within you because there will be no war to be had inside of you because God, what he started in salvation, will bring to completion and to your perfection so that you stand before God holy and pleasing and righteous in his eyes and his sight, all because of what Jesus has done for us through his death on the cross of Calvary. This is the teaching of Paul in Romans chapters 1 through 7 to this point. So here's the second thing is, you need to understand that everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Satan doesn't create anything or anyone. All he can do is counterfeit, corrupt, or co-op into what God has already created. For example, God creates angels, the counterfeit are demons. God created obedience. The counterfeit is rebellion. God creates truth. The counterfeit is lies. God created us to be spirit-filled. The counterfeit is to be demonized or demon-possessed. God creates peace. The counter is fear. God created unity. The counter is division. God created us so that we would live in freedom, freedom in Christ, but the counterfeit of that is slavery. And so what Paul has said up to this point, as he's fleshing out out of chapter 6, he says, listen, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you were placed into Christ and he into you. When Jesus died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was resurrected, you were resurrected. You have already been resurrected to be a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Take off the old. Put on the new. You are a resurrected believer of Christ who has the power and the authority to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Now, Satan is going to do everything in his power to counteract that in your life and convince you that that is simply not true. And so Romans 7 is Paul's contrasting living in the flesh, living in the flesh which pulls hell up, as opposed to living in the spirit which brings heaven down. And so this is the struggle that's going on inside of him. He said, but man, you know, before I got saved, I... I lived according to the fleshly desires, and I'll 
talk about that in a minute, what that means. And, and, and I, it's, just, it's just automatic. It was like my default mechanism. It's just what I do. It's just what I am. And, and now I got saved and all these things positionally, you know, uh, from God's perspective has changed. But, but I find myself, uh, this war within me, I really want to do what God wants me to do, but I find myself not being able to do it. And the things I really don't want to do, I find myself doing it. And, and, and all, all this, what's inside of me that's making this happen? And he says, what's inside of me is this flesh. It is the, the old uh, Adamic nature, the residual of your old life that is lodged in your thought processes, in your emotions, and in your body. And he says, what am I to do about this? I, I, I'm warring with this, but I don't seem to be making much progress. And so here's the situation that you and I face uh, on your outline. And it's the same issue that Paul faced. And is the issue how... How can I learn how to live according to the Spirit so that I do not fulfill the desires and the lusts of the flesh? Fleshly living is all about being driven by your impulses. Spirit living is all being directed and driven by the Holy Spirit of God. And so Romans chapter 8, listen, to Romans chapter 7, and Paul's going to use the word I 30 times. He'll make one reference to the Holy Spirit. He's setting us up. He's going to say, in and of myself... I, I cannot do this. I, I cannot walk in anything but the flesh. But, but God has given me something greater than myself. And the whole chapter of Romans 8 is all about, here's how you walk in the spirit. And let me show you how to live in freedom. And let me show you how to live in victory. Let me show you how to follow in step with the spirit so that you're no longer caving into and giving into the lust and the deeds of the flesh. You don't want to miss the next three weeks. You are built, created, and made to live by the power of God through his Holy Spirit. The same spirit that empowered the life of Jesus himself. And so Satan's demonic counterfeit for walking in the spirit is to walk in the, in the flesh, in your old ways. The way you used to walk before Jesus and you and I are in the place between the times. God has already won the war in heaven. And now Satan, demonic evil forces are at work in the world wanting our allegiance and rebellion against God and one another. But ultimately when Jesus comes, he's going to push that culture down to hell. And so heaven's culture is very distinguishable. It's, joy, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's gentleness, it's self-control, it's all of those things. The culture of hell is very distinct. It's hatred, it's discord, it's unforgiveness, it's bitterness, it's addiction, it's self-righteousness, it's just, it's just all about me. And so every single day, you and I get up and we have to make a decision. Am I going to live according to the flesh or am I going to live according to the spirit? Because if I live according to the flesh, I'm pulling hell up. If I'm living according to the spirit, I'm pulling heaven down. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so salvation is not just about getting us into heaven. Salvation is about conforming us to the image of Jesus. And what that comes with is new desires. But if we're honest with ourselves, there is this struggle, this tug of war that is going on inside of us the flesh versus the spirit. So on your outline, I, I, I labeled flesh. It's the way of life pattern after the thoughts, the habits, and desires that are rooted in self, right? That we brought with us into this new life in Christ. Now, 
Your, your sin nature has been crucified with Christ. God didn't resurrect your sin nature, but the residual of that sin nature is what the flesh is about, and it is what you and I have to learn how to overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. The flesh is you without God, you by yourself, and so it has its own holy trinity. The holy trinity of the flesh is me, myself, and I. And everything is about me, and all of life is about me, and I will use people, I will abuse people, I will do whatever I have to do in order to satisfy self. And so Paul has already challenged us. Uh, he Notice he comes out and he says, the law, the law is spiritual in the situation we find ourselves in. So Paul has fleshed this out earlier, and he just kind of reiterates something. He says, you know what? The law, the law of God, that is the word of God, the truth of God, that the Holy Spirit breathed as those who were writing scripture, the breath of God itself, the word of God. The first purpose of the law is to show us how sinful we truly are. You see, before I was saved, I never knew how sinful I was. I had no comparison. The only comparison I had were other people. Like, okay, uh, I might be a jerk, but you're a bigger jerk. I might be engaged in these sinful habits, but at least I don't have yours, right? So this was the standard by which I was comparing myself until I was confronted with God's word, with God's law, and I found out it was spiritual, it was God-breathed, and, and so God gave me a comparison. He says, Greg, this is, this is your heart, and, and this is where your heart needs to be, but here's where it is, and they're not even close to being insane. You, you got something fundamentally wrong inside of you, and so the law... The, the law cannot, cannot change you. The law says, here's what you should be like, and now compare that to your heart. But um, we tend to be blind to our own hurts and habits and hang-ups. And so, you know, we, unless somebody exposes it, right? Somebody points it out. Somebody says, you shouldn't be this way. And so the law was not meant to change us. The law was meant to direct us to Jesus, because Jesus was the only one who could fix me. I couldn't fix myself. I tried to fix myself using the flesh. All it did is got me into greater problems with no solutions and deeper enslavement to the very sins that were tearing me and ripping me apart. Number two, in this situation, the law cannot enable you to do good. Three times Paul says this sin living in me. He's referring again to the flesh, the residual of the old sin nature. But it's also true that the Holy Spirit now indwells us, who enables us to do good. We are powerless on our own. Right? You can make all the New Year's resolutions you want. You can make all the promises you want to God that you're not going to do it again and you're not going to mess up again and, and you're going to be perfect from here on out. But I'm telling you, listen, sheer willpower has no power to overcome the flesh. You need something greater than yourself. You need something outside of yourself that God has placed in you, in Christ, called the Holy Spirit of God, who gives you a power source that enables you to overcome the fleshly desires. If I try it myself, it just doesn't work. The law has no capacity to do that, and the law cannot set you free. Remember last week we said, Paul says, listen, the only thing the law does is arouses sin in me. You tell me I can't do something, that's exactly what I want to do. 
I mean, they, you learn this as parents early on. You, when you're a child and you say, do this, and for the first time they look at you and say, no. Now you have a contest of wills. That little two-foot child and the big you know, grown adult, who's going to win? Now, as an adult, you may force them to conform to your wishes, but that doesn't mean they conformed on the inside. All right, so, so the law, you, you, you tell me I can't do something, that's exactly what I want to do. And so rather than setting me free, the law actually judges me and condemns me, which makes me feel defeated and depressed. And the law tells you what you need to change, but has no power to to change you. That's why sometimes you read the Bible and God says, this is what you need to do. And you try and you fail and you say, God, I can't do this. No, you can't, not on your own. But we're going to teach you how to walk in the spirit because he can enable you to do it. Amen? So here's three things that happen to people. One of three things. Typically, you become a new believer. People are you know, trying to learn. You've gotten some new desires, and you're, you're trying to follow the Lord, and you find you know, three steps forward, two steps back, and you're struggling. You're getting frustrated. Satan's condemning you. Uh, you're, yeah, I told you God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. It didn't really take. You're not really saved. And so some people become carnal. Uh, Paul talked about carnal Christian in, in 1 Corinthians 3, and what he meant by that is you just give up. Like you, There's no spiritual development going on anymore. You, you're just giving up. You know, when you have a baby, that baby's absolutely dependent upon you as a parent for everything, to feed them, change them, care for them, protect them. But here's what you don't want. You don't want to have a 16-year-old that you're still carrying around a theme park because they go, my legs don't work. I can't walk anymore. I am so tired, right? You raise your children to become independent, right? So they learn to feed themselves and care for themselves. And this is the goal of our church is to help you take your next step with Christ to grow in maturity so that you begin to feed yourself from the word of God and you begin to have interactions with the spirit of God and, and God's growing you up into adulthood so that you can go out and then in turn, you know, help somebody raise somebody else else up who is an infant in Christ, and this is the way God's designed the church, but carnal believers tend to be very experienced oriented. They tend to be church hoppers. They're always running from one place to another trying to find that, that emotional high they had when they got saved, and, and they run here and run there, this experience over here, and this one over here, over here, and over, and, and so they're looking for all these experiences for this emotional high, but, but they've never grown on the grassroots level of learning how to feed themselves and to care for themselves and to grow into adulthood. And it's a very dangerous place to be because eventually it's the law, diminishing law of returns. You can't capture that feeling anymore. Or some people become perfectionists, right? You, I'm going to be the perfect Christian. I got saved. I'm going to tell you what. Six months. Ain't no sin problem here. I don't want people talking about. I don't want my wife's talking about. I'm perfect. She just needs to get on board with it. She'll get aboard all right, but she ain't getting on board with it. And so people put this pressure on themselves, like, I got to be perfect. I got to be perfect. And there are those who, you know, in certain uh, 
religious worlds that they, they've convinced themselves that, you know, I'm already perfected in Christ to totality, and, and I don't have to wait until I get to heaven for that perfected, perfected process to be culminated. And so they just say, well, you know, I'm perfect, and I, I, I've just never met a perfect person. I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable. What perfect people tend to happen to them is that they, they, um, they become very condemning and judgmental because they're constantly degrading the sins of others around them. And I learned this very quickly in, high, in uh, college. I was uh, working at a uh, IGA uh, grocery store. I, I worked in the butcher shop. I would clean the butcher shop uh, in the evenings, and I had a cashier there. I, you know, I'd be witnessing to people, and I had a young girl who was a cashier, and we talked a lot. And, and she was really struggling in life and sharing Jesus with her, and she was really getting close to um, coming to faith in Christ. And it was during my break, and I went up front to the cashier, and and she was behind me, and she had a bottle of wine because she and her girlfriends were having a, a sleepover that night, and there was a, a man behind her. And so I paid for my, my snack because I was going to be going on break, and she paid for her wine, and that man behind her stepped up, who was a pastor, and just berated her. How evil she was because she had a bottle of wine in her hand and just relentless. She never wanted to hear another word about Jesus after that. I want us to be honest, Christians, okay? Let's be honest. An honest Christian knows this. I am, I am not who I was, but I'm not who I need to be. We are projects of the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, there, there's never a time in your life that God's not working on something in your life. Right? Because you're not reaching this perfected state. I mean, I, I get a, you know, a hold on this area of my life, and, and God says, well, that's great. Now now let's get over here and get to work on this area. And I, I get to work on that area, and then it's like, well, okay, well, now we've got that under our belt a little bit. Let's go. And so it's always three steps forward, two back. It's up, down, all around. One of the things I appreciated, my wife was really um, nervous about her blog, is because it was so raw, it was so honest, it was so out there, and just said, listen... I'm struggling as a caregiver. I brought home a nutcase Thursday night. Uh, I, I needed to put him somewhere. Listen, you're in a battle. There's a war within. You have already run, won the war, okay? You're in Jesus. You were buried with him, crucified with him, buried with him, resurrected with him. But the struggle is real. Be honest about the struggle. This is why we, we want you to be in some small group, some form of community, because we, we need each other. We desperately need one another. And I don't want you to come, just put on a pretty face and say, well, how are you doing today? Well, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. Everything's fine. And it might be for that day, but you may come in on a Sunday, and I mean, you are an absolute wreck, but you're afraid to be honest about it because you're afraid of being judged or condemned by somebody who's thinking, well, you know, as long as you've been walking with Jesus, you ought to have a grip on this by now. You ought to be further along than that now. Listen, I'm telling you, you are making progress. It is not about perfection in this lifetime. It is about making progress. And the only way you'll ever make progress is to be honest with what is going on inside of you. That's why James says, listen, confess your sins to one another. Because he says, when you do that, when you're honest, he says, then you will be healed. 
It's a struggle. This is, this is the struggle that we, we face, the situation and the struggle that we fight. He goes on to say is, is keeping consistencies. Like, like are, are there two versions of Greg? Like is there one version on Sunday and a different version Monday through Saturday? I, I hope not. I, I mean, I want, I want to be consistent in my walk. But again, it's the battle between the, the flesh and the spirit because the flesh versus the spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul kind of fleshes this out. We're not going to look at that, but I just want to mention it. He says, listen, you got one of two ways of living life as a believer. You can either walk in the flesh or you can walk in the spirit. If you walk in the flesh, you're going to pull hell up. You walk in the spirit, you're going to bring heaven down. You walk in the flesh, you're going to, what's going to result or what the deeds of the flesh? You walk in the spirit, you're going to, you're going to be, you know, reaping the, the deeds of, of, the, of the spirit, the culture of heaven rather than the culture of hell. And so when he, Paul fleshed this whole thing out, he says, listen, the deepest part of you that impacts you the greatest, that seed of rebellion that was in you, that flesh, it's easy to identify because it has temper and it's gossip and uh, a loose tongue and a loose temper. And so if I'm a husband and I come home and, and I bring he hell up and I'm angry with my wife and I'm walking in there and I'm, I'm come with this attitude of like this culture of hell and I say, well, you know what? My, the Bible says my wife is to submit to me as her husband and so I've got a thing or two to tell her and I'm going to put her in her place and she's going to submit or otherwise and then you just just unleash hell all over your wife? Is that of the Spirit? No. As opposed to me coming in, walking in the Spirit, and I want to bring in the culture of heaven into my home, and, and yes, we may have some, some difficulties, and we may be having a disagreement, but there is a correct way to handle that as opposed to as an incorrect way. And so this is the battle that we struggle with and even in secular psychology, counselors and therapists talk about the shadow side of us, that, that part we try to control, but we don't control very well. And so the Bible says, Paul says, that the desires of the flesh are rooted in self, in self. Here are some self-statements. Well, the heart just wants what the heart wants. Just, I, I just, I'm just going to do me. You do you. I'll do me. Speak your truth. But be true to yourself. These are all about feeling good about yourself, but not necessarily being good. The good life has become about getting what we want, not becoming the kind of people who want truly good things. And so Paul says that this gravity is pulling towards us, and he fleshed it out in Galatians 5 in three ways, sexual sins, spiritual sins, and social sins. Now, we know the sexual sins of our society are deep and rampant, and it is, it is from the pit of hell itself. And spiritual sins be like something like idolatry, where something or someone is always in the place of God in my life, and it's the center of my life, it's the focus of my life, it's the drive of my life, rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus created you and breathed into you the breath of life, the spirit of God, so that now the spirit lives through your soul, then through your body. And so everything flows out of that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the center. He is the driving force. He is, that's why Jesus says, listen, seek ye first the kingdom of God. It is an issue of surrender. Who am I surrendering myself to the most? 
and let everything flow out of that relationship. And social sins, again, it's the flesh is always trying to ruin relationships. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's personal. He is, he is relational. And war can show up in all kinds of places. Remember hell has a culture? You know what hell's culture is? Unforgiveness. You hurt me, you're done. I've checked you off my list. Hell will never forgive. You know what the culture of heaven is? Absolute forgiveness. Absolute forgiveness. So am I going to bring hell up or heaven down? When somebody wrongs me, when somebody hurts me, when somebody betrays me, what am I bringing to the table? That depends if I'm living in the flesh or if I'm walking in the spirit. And so the works of the flesh are the ways that Satan baits your hook to pull you in, as James chapter 1 says, so that when sin conceives and gives conception, it gives birth, and it gives birth to death. One of the reasons why so many relationships die is because we brought the culture of hell into the relationship rather than the culture of heaven. Desires of the Spirit, also, uh, on the other hand, are rooted in character. Rooted in character. I've never read an obituary that said, well, you know, he really got a lot out of his gaming skills, I'm telling you. That's really what I want to write in that obituary. That girl really knew how to eat, drink, and be merry. Or, man, that, that guy was so committed to working out. It was absolutely inspiring. These are not the kinds of things that we read. What we do read are things that we admire about somebody's character. Things like their love, their sacrifice, their loyalty to family, to friends, their humility, their joy, their compassion. These are the things that we read in somebody's obituary. While culture celebrates the gospel of self-actualization, Heaven rejoices in character, and that is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about, the character of Christ inside of us. So what God wants to do through the Holy Spirit is to develop the mind of Christ in us so that we're living our lives not based on the flesh, but on the Spirit, on truth rather than lies, that develops the character of Christ in us, the fruit of the Spirit, then the character of Christ lives itself out through our lives on a day-by-day basis so that when somebody writes your obituary, the things they're going to write about are those character qualities that you displayed, and when you displayed those character qualities, you were displaying the very life and love of Christ himself in a world that is very dark and very driven by self. So here's three things to remember. We're going to wrap this up. I know my sinful cravings are not true of me anymore. Now, suppose in your old life you had this sinful habit you didn't like and you kept falling into it and you probably, you know, you're trying to get out of it, you're trying to get out of it. You got saved and you're still struggling with that same habit. And so you're struggling, and you're like, man, I'm a new creation in Christ, and I'll be able to get a grip on this, and, and you try, and you try, and you struggle, and you fall, and you fail, and you promise God you're never going to do it again. Uh, Lord, if you help me out with this, I promise you, this, 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 and this. You just keep this, this struggle on and off, on and off, on and off. And uh, you, you start thinking to yourself, well, you know, I, I just don't see anything changing. I don't, I don't see anything, any winning of any battle in my life here. Um, I... 
I guess the ultimate outcome has just already been determined for me. I'm just not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to have freedom in this area of my life. I'm going to be enslaved to this for the rest of my life. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not true. As you continue, believe this, and I guarantee you'll find yourself saying, why why doesn't sin taste as good as it used to in my life? Why, Why is there this like foul taste in my mouth? Why doesn't it satisfy me like it used to? It's because you no longer are expressing your it's, it's no longer expressing your, your inner self. Listen, what happens through the Spirit as we learn to walk in the Spirit is that we begin to delight in the law of God. And, and Jesus, through his Spirit, begins to change. And yes, we still battle with these sinful cravings, but it doesn't mean that they have to enslave me for the rest of my life. Got it? Doesn't have to be that way. If you believe Satan's lie, you'll think otherwise. It does not have to be that way. Number two, I can be confident in the midst of my most discouraging seasons. I don't want to tell you what. I've been discouraged many times. He's like, Lord, why do I still struggle with self-control? Lord, why is it I still jump to conclusions with people? And Lord, why do I? You ever get into this conversation with yourself? God, why am I still doing this? And, and, and why my affections for you, Lord, seem to grow cold? And, and why is even my desire for repentance so weak? And, and so God hears the cry of, your, of the desperation of your heart. And I, want, I just want you to know, you may not think. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God responds to that. And he's doing the work. I can't wait to unpack that for you next week. Here's another one. God uses my ongoing struggle to grow my appreciation of God's grace. I think we're going to throw up a slide. I don't know if all this is on, on one slide or not. But I want, I want you to think about what Paul has said all through the book of Romans this far. He said, we, were, we used to be unrighteous, but now in Christ we're righteous. Like we were enemies of God, but now we're friends with God. We were fallen in Adam, but now we are raised in Christ. We were spiritually dead, now we're spiritually alive. We were under the law. We're slaves to sin, now we're free from sin. We were under the law, now we're under grace. We were in the flesh, but now we were, are in the spirit. And so what is God saying? Grace, 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 grace. Stop focusing on your failures. Stop focusing upon where you've fallen short. Start focusing and riveting your heart and your mind upon the grace of God and who you have become in Christ Jesus. We think that growing in grace is getting to a place in our lives that I don't need God's grace anymore and nothing could be further from the truth. Growing in grace on this side of the resurrection often means growing in our awareness of our need for grace, not getting to the place where you feel like it's no longer necessary. I learned to rest in grace rather than resting in the flesh. And that encourages me. It strengthens me. It gives something for the Holy Spirit to utilize in my life as I'm seeking to live out this thing called the Christian life. And so here's the solution that we find as Paul wraps this up. He says, you know, remember, as a follower of Christ, you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. All of these things are true. You were buried, you know, 
crucified with Christ, buried with him, resurrected, walk in newness of life. The old is gone, the new has come. All of these things are so true. And so when Jesus, his first coming of his kingdom is already here, but we, listen, we live in the, 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 the in-between of already and not yet. All right? Jesus has established his kingdom and, and it's already happened and he's already victorious and he's already won the victory for you, but you're in the not yet stage. Like We're not like in the presence of Jesus in heaven as we will be at one, you know, in the future where all of sin has been removed because sin is still rampant in the world because I still have this flesh, this residual of my old sin nature that I'm warring with on the inside. The war is real. It is real. It is something that we fight. But here's what Paul says in verse 24. And, and he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, this body of death, Paul was from a tribe that was near the town of Tarshish and where he grew up. If you murdered somebody, it was not, it was not unlikely that they would take the body of the person you murdered, strap it to your back and allow it to decay, and you would carry that with you, that body of death, wherever you went until eventually that diseased body diseased you, the murderer, and you would die. This is what Paul is saying. He said, listen, I've got this war inside of me, and it's like carrying this, this body of death, and, and everywhere I go, I, I can't seem to get it off. I want to get it off. I'm trying to take it off, and I, I can't seem to get it off, but I want to get it off, and I so he goes in this whole you know, tirade, I, I, I want to do the right thing, but I don't find myself doing the right thing, and I don't want to do this, and I can't do this. And he says, get, how, how do I get this body of death off me? Here's how he gets it off. Thanks be through whom? Jesus Christ. The Jesus who was filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, who was lived in the Spirit of God, and so the Holy Spirit that was all of this to Christ is the same Holy Spirit in us. So how did Jesus live kingdom down and not hell up? How did Jesus always choose what was created by God and not counterfeited by Satan? His master key was the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the same person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit who now lives and resides in you. And so we are to, we're going to learn to crucify the flesh and walk in the spirit. And that word walk speaks of dependence, destination, and dedication. So I close with this. When you get up to walk, you're dependent upon your legs, your feet, your legs. You get up, get out of your, your, your lazy boy, and you're heading to the refrigerator for that triple fudge chocolate cake. And so you have a destination, right? You get up, you, you, your destination is the refrigerator, you grab that, you go back, you sit down, and you're watching you know, March Madness basketball, and you're eating your triple you know, chocolate fudge cake. And so um, the dedication is this. That is not your last trip to the refrigerator, I can assure you. Like, you're not going to eat this and like, oh, I'm satisfied forever. No, you're still watching March Madness and you're back up again and you're back in the refrigerator. You're finding something else to eat and you're back to your seat and, and this just goes on. Listen, when, you, when, the, when you're going through that process, do you have to consciously think about what you're doing? Like, do you have to say to your feet, feet, put, put pressure down, raise butt up, one step at a time, here we go. Open up the... Now, you don't have to consciously think about any of that. Why? Because it's automatic. It's the way you've lived all of your life. This is the battle with the flesh. 
because we learned how to live according to the flesh, and the flesh had so many years of head start on us, it is our automatic default mechanism. So when you got saved, now you have to learn how to walk in the spirit. And at first you have to consciously think about those steps. Think about the process. This is how I stand up. And this is what I'm depending upon. And this is my destination. And this is my dedication. And over time, as you learn how to walk in this in the spirit and thus not fulfill the lust of the flesh, it becomes automatic. It now becomes your new default mechanism so you don't have to think through every step. You don't have to think through the whole process. It is just automatic because you've learned how to walk day in and day out in the fullness of the spirit of God. And that is what Paul is going to teach you to do in the book of Romans and chapter Eight. Let's pray. My friend, if you're here this morning, um, wow, the only way you the only way you receive the Holy Spirit of God is through Jesus Christ, God's Son, through salvation, through putting your hope, your trust, your your faith in Him and Him alone as God's sacrifice for your sin. Uh, there there is nothing you can do um, to erase your sin debt, to clear it, to cleanse it. Um, there's nowhere to purchase anything. Uh, Jesus has already purchased that for you by shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary. Born under the law, he died because of the law, because the, the wages of sin demands death. And so he became our substitute. He, he became the, the lamb of God who came to take away the the sin of the world, and God is offering to us a free gift that's called grace, God's riches, the richness of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, and it is not something God forces upon you, it's something he desires for you, and he's given you the freedom to choose because he loves you, and so you can choose Jesus or not choose Jesus. To choose Jesus is to experience the forgiveness of your sin, and that's just the beginning of all that will transpire in your life. And through that relationship comes the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of you so that now you are connected to your creator in intimacy and love and oneness and so that the culture of heaven can now begin to grow and, and produce fruit within you that is reflective of the culture of heaven. To reject Christ is... It's to say, God, I, I just don't want any part of that, and you have the freedom to do that, but that also comes with consequences. And that is, if you die without Jesus, there is the eternal separation. God cannot receive or accept sin into his presence. But with Jesus, your sin has been forgiven, it has been cleansed, it has been cast as far as the east is from the west. And so I, I just ask you today, where are you in that relationship? And if you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, I pray for you to do that today. And uh, we'd love to help you out with that if you have questions. Um, and just open up your heart to him and just put in the full weight of your, your trust in his payment for your sin. But dear believer, um, man, when we begin that new walk and we have an internal war, I just want to encourage you, do not give up. Do not give over to the evil one. 
I know the war is real and is painful at times, but you are already victorious in Christ. I just want to help you to walk in that victory. God wants you to walk in that victory. He wants you to experience freedom from the enslavement of sin. He loves you. He's compa- he is passionate about you. And regardless of how many times you have stumbled, how many times you have fallen, it's like with my own kids and grandchildren. You, we just pick you back up, we dust you off, and we help you to take new steps. And that's what your Heavenly Father wants to do for you this morning. So Father, we thank you for this time of worship and celebration. And may you do a work within us as we prepare our hearts for next week and what it means to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Will you stand with us?